This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey. I'm so excited to be with you here today, even on this kind of rainy uh, day we had planned. Uh, <coughs> sorry, that drink of water worked against me, not for me right there, uh, right before I came up. Uh, uh, we had planned a big uh, a hayride outside with a campfire. The campfire sounds kind of nice right now, maybe inside, but, um, but obviously it's a little too wet for that to happen. So after the service today uh, in the gym, uh, we'll be having our, uh, our event uh, afterwards today. But um, Wanted to take just a moment this morning and make sure I welcomed you, told you all of that this morning, uh, and encouraged everybody uh, to reach into the seat back in front of them. In that seat back, you're going to find one of these Connect cards. A Connect card is a great way for you uh, to let us know, A, that you're here, uh, especially if you are new, but even if you are not, you've been around many times before, it's our desire to have one of those from every family here. Uh, there's lots of things you can do with that. You can share um, prayer requests, decisions you've made. Maybe you want to volunteer in a specific area. Uh, there's something else you want us to know about. This is a great way to make sure we get that information. Um, so you can uh, write that down and uh, drop it in the offering bags as they go by at the end of our time together, or uh, into you can drop it in the baskets uh, at the back of the auditorium, and as you exit today, um, you can find a spot to drop those. Um, so with that this morning, let me pause and pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we are so thankful for this place. We are so thankful for this time. This time where we can pause. This time where we can focus in on you. And we can wrestle with the questions that we should be wrestling with every day. But particularly here in this moment, God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to our lives? What are you saying to us through scripture, through conversations? What are you saying to us and what are we going to do about it? This morning we sang, Lord, as uh, Daniel led us, we sang, my heart will say no other name. It will sing no other name but yours, Jesus. God, that's our prayer God, we know that is where you want our heart to be, not cluttered with all of this other stuff that we so oftentimes bring into it. My prayer today for myself, for everybody in here, is that we get closer and closer to that heart, that heart you want for us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, today is the uh, fourth and the final week in our series called Silence. And this series, we, we know what silence is. Silence is that long pause. That long pause that comes when we expect somebody to say something and we hear nothing. 
Silence comes uh, in the kind of normal course of a conversation, in the ebbs and flows of a conversation. Sometimes silence comes when uh, we have a question for somebody. We think uh, maybe we want them to do something for us. We want them to agree to something. And we think the answer should be obvious. But nothing comes. There's that long pause. That's silence. And yes, silence sometimes even comes in our relationship with God. Sometimes even in our relationship with God, uh, we have these times of silence where uh, we're going through something difficult usually, uh, some kind of a hardship, some time in our life, and we want to hear clearly from him. We want, to, we want to know what we're supposed to do in this particular moment. We want it so desperately, but we don't hear anything in that moment Does that happen to you? It certainly happened to me. I've had moments like that. God, direct me. God, lead me. God, show me what we're supposed to do here and now in this moment. Show me how we're supposed to go in the future in silence. The truth is that that this is something that not just I wrestle with, not just you wrestle with. We've been wrestling with this as followers of God for years and years and years. We, We see it all the way into Scripture. We've been studying the Psalms in this series. And the Psalms, one of the things that's so great about the Psalms is they are honest They're honest. They share real life experience. And one of the things we see in the Psalms is people wrestling with God's silence. Early church leaders from the uh, very earliest writings, they they talk about these times of God's silence, these God's times that they call them testing, uh, other phrases they use. We have modern authors that talk about times of silence from God, and we have our own experience own experience with silence. My job today is not to explain away your silence, not to kind of uh, give an, an explanation that makes it all kind of fall to, into the right places. I don't want to trivialize the pain that so oftentimes comes with the silence. My job The job for us today is to remind us, remind us, remind you, remind myself that silence doesn't have to mean that we're alone. Silence doesn't have to mean that God has left us or abandoned us. This morning, as we wrestle with this kind of this idea of silence one more time, what I want you to do for a moment this morning is to think about a storm that you've experienced. You know, the wind, the rain. Maybe you've been through some really bad storms. Maybe uh, you've been through a tornado or a hurricane, something else. I remember when uh, I was growing up in Illinois in my little farming town that I grew up in that was about like that. Um, We didn't have a tornado directly in our town, but there was one just a few miles away. And I remember everybody knew it was coming. Nobody knew when it was going to touch down or where it was going to touch down. I remember walking outside 
in that eerie feeling where uh, all the pressure drops right and the sky starts to darken up and we know something is about to happen, but everything's calm. Remember that? Remember how during the middle of the day it started getting darker and darker the wind picked up and, and, and things started to blow around the yard and branches started to break. Maybe you got an experience like that. One of the things that is common in almost all storms is what I described when that sun starts to disappear. Gets covered up by the clouds and, and we don't see it anymore. And that's one of the things that's uh, oftentimes so uh, uh, disheartening, right? It, it's disorienting when in the middle of the day, it starts to get dark. It's when we know something bad is about to happen. That happens in uh, sandstorms in the desert. It happens in blizzards in Antarctica. It happens in tornadoes in Oklahoma. The sun seems to disappear. That sun, that we so oftentimes associate with kind of warm, breezy summer days. That sun that can put a smile on our face is gone. It gets covered up. And if we're in the midst of the storm, we can forget about the sun because we're kind of so focused on, on what's happening around us and, and it's so scary at times. Um, we can get so preoccupied, wondering, are we going to make it through? Is everyone going to be okay? But if we could quiet our heart, if we could calm our nerves, and somebody came and asked us, where's the sun? Is it gone? Is it ever going to come back? If we could kind of get beyond the, the first feelings, right? We would know, no, the sun is still there. It's still shining. We would understand, hey, if we could somehow safely get on an airplane and kind of get up and go above the clouds, the sun is there shining. It's just covered up by the storm. That whole concept, it's called object permanence. Object permanence, the awareness that an object continues to exist even when it's not in view. If you studied this kind of thing, if you diligently read those uh, parenting books when you had children, you would know that this develops in kids at about 18 months. This morning, what I want to do to kind of help us with this point is watch uh, kind of a funny interaction between a father and his young child and some cucumbers. Let's watch this together. Here, action. Would you like it? We're doing human development science experiment. Would you like a cucumber? How good's your memory? The cucumber's here. Where did it go? Where'd the cucumber go? Where'd the cucumber go? Okay, we're just gonna. It's not a trick question. Where's the cucumber? It's interesting. Did you get distracted? Did you... That's not. <laughs> That's not the cucumber. That's disgusting. That cucumber. That, that coconut was disgusting when I ate it. Where'd the cucumber go? I disappeared. Is it under here? 
Is it under here? Or is it out of your ear? Oh, under here. Where'd the cucumber go? <laughs> Where'd the cucumber go? Okay, is it is it under here? Oh, 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 okay, we're gonna focus here, focus. Is it under here? Or is it out of your ear? Okay, now we're just gonna put this one with the other one. Okay, where'd the cucumber go? That's that's the outside of the coconut. Okay. Is it here? Do you want this cucumber? Do you want this cucumber? Okay. Oh, oh, here. Is it under here? Where'd the cucumber go? We don't know until they're like two. No, it's this is this is this is horrifying. Okay, dude. Look, look at me, look at me. The cucumbers are under here. They're right here. They're right here. Okay. Where are the cucumbers? Okay. This is going in the science of the journal. Marion, I'm going to be published in the neuroscience. Oh, where's the cucumber? Oh, no, here, here. Oh, it's here. Under here. Look at the cucumbers. They're here. The cucumbers are here. Where'd they go? Maybe it's because maybe it's because you don't know how your hands work. Like this. <laughs> ah! Oh! Oh! I'm sorry, I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Here, cucumber. You want this? Yeah. Here. Taste it. It's under here. Take it. You got to get it. You got to earn your cucumber. In this household, we earn our cucumbers. <laughs> Dude, where's the cucumber? That's not cucumber. That's disgusting coconut skin. All right, just couldn't find the cucumber, right? You can see the baby gets so excited. It wants it. it it's right there, and then it goes under, and it's gone. And you can see kind of the dad get frustrated, right? Like, my kid is smarter than the normal kid. They can figure this out, but it just doesn't kind of work out that way. Um, sometimes... Sometimes the problem we have in times of silence, in times of silence from God, is this very thing. It's this object permanence. We begin to think that because we can't see him in a particular moment, in a particular situation, we don't hear him when we want to, saying the things that we want to, that he's not there. We begin to wonder where he is. But what if it didn't have to be that way? 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus himself in John 20, 29 says it this way, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Psalm that we're going to look at today describes this as well, addresses this as well. Psalm 73 is where we're going to be today. If you want to start to find that, if you brought a Bible or you've got the uh, Bible app on your phone, in Psalm 73, it's as if the psalmist looks around and says, wait, 
I'm trying to do the right thing here. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do all the right things. And, and this person over here, they're, they're not trying to do any of those things. They're, they're, they're evil. They're, they're corrupt. They're, uh, they're full of just uh, kind of in, uh, hatred. They're trying to get ahead of everybody else. And they're prospering. When I look at my life, not only does it not compare to theirs, not only do they uh, have more wealth and uh, uh, influence, but I have trouble and hardship, difficulty. The psalmist goes, why? I don't understand this. And he struggles with this question so much that it kind of brings him to this crisis of faith. See this in Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But listen to verse 2. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet, they were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seem to live in such painless, to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, they don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everybody else. They, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace, and they clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all of their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Do I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task that is. And then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O oh Lord, you will laugh as their, at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. And then, verse 21, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was torn up inside. There's a self-revelation here. 
I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more. I desire you more than anything on earth. It's so hard to highlight a favorite psalm, isn't it? Because we all have our favorites, and often there's a verse or two in a particular psalm that we say, that's my favorite verse. But as for a favorite psalm, I think I would have to say my, one of my favorites is Psalm 73. And if you think about what that says about, it, it kind of speaks to, to the Christian experience of all of us. So we have Asaph, the psalmist, coming in and, and pouring out his misery, basically. He's discontented because the world is influencing him, and he's envious of, of what other people seem to have. You know, they, they don't walk with God, and yet they seem so blessed. They're healthy and wealthy, and, and they don't seem to be struggling with the same problems that Christians do. And so Asaph is wondering, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to walk with God? And he's questioning that. And, you know, can't we all relate to that? I think we can. So in the middle of the psalm, he takes himself in hand. And what does he do? He looks at God. He gets his eyes off the world. He gets his eyes off himself. And he focuses upward. And as he's focusing on God, his thinking changes. His perspective is, is eternal. And he starts to realize what the reality is. It may look like they have it all, these people who despise God. But they don't. They really have nothing. And what they seem to have is going to end up nowhere. And yet, Asaph, as a Christian, even though by worldly standards he doesn't have a lot, he realizes he's the one with everything because he has God. And then he, he's able, he's humbled by that view, and he pours out his heart to, to the Lord, and he sees his grumbling heart, and he repents of that. And then, this is my favorite verse, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So when he says, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you, don't we all want to be there? We, we, we want to be able to say, nothing in this life is as good as that taste of belonging to the Lord. And, and once we've tasted it, we realize that nothing else ever compares. And, and Asaph got that perspective and not just in his head, it went from his head into his heart because he looked at God. And there's such a lesson in that for all of us. If we get our eyes off ourselves and our problems and our wants and our lacks and off of what everyone else seems to have, that envy, and look at the Lord, we realize how blessed we really are just by having him. So that is the psalm, I think, for all of us. And a goal for all of us is to be able to say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Some good stuff there. I watched that video this week. And if you remember, it starts out with that question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow God when times are hard and, and difficulties are all around? And, and I thought, you know, that's the question we face in the silence. When 
When we are going through hardship and, we're, and we want to maybe uh, have an answer and it's not coming as quickly as we want it and we're frustrated and we're in silence from God, we start to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow him? She so properly points out that's the question that the psalmist is wrestling with. That's the question you and I wrestle with. Then the psalmist has a perspective shift. Love those moments. I love those moments when when we start to wonder, hey, does it really have to be this way? Am I looking at this situation from the right view? I'm here focused on me, on what I don't have, on what they seem to have, and how that's all working out. Frustrated by not hearing from you, God, about the prosperity of the wicked around me. What if I take my eyes off of my frustrations, off of what I'm so focused in on here in the moment, at this particular time, at this particular place, and I start to view things from your point of view? And I begin to see things more clearly. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do, especially in a time of silence. But it's one of the things that we're called to do. It's one of the things we need to do. And so what I wanted to do with the rest of our time today is I kind of wanted to look at what the psalmist did at Asaph, what he did, how he had this perspective shift. If we look at it, we can find kind of five things he did today. If you're following along, taking notes, five things Asaph did to have this perspective shift. First is this, be honest with our feelings. This one is so important. It is so easy to miss because it's something he didn't do. Asaph didn't do what we so often do when we come to hardship, when we're in a time of silence. We put on kind of a spiritual face and we pretend everything is okay. He doesn't do that. Verse 2 in Psalm 73, but as for me, I almost lost it. My footing, my feet, they were slipping. I was almost gone. Uh, In other words, he's saying, I almost gave up. My faith was failing. I was being tripped up by all I saw in the world. He doesn't run from those feelings. He addresses them. He brings them directly to God. That's what we need to do. Bring those feelings to him. Hear this. One of the true pleasures of faith in God is that God invites us. He invites us. He wants us to pour out our broken hearts to him. He wants us to pour out our broken hearts to him. So we got to be honest with our feelings. Second thing we see the psalmist do is to confess 
doubts. We really see this in, in verse 2 all the way through 12, a big section of what we read today. Asaph, he's struggling with this real dilemma. This real life situation. He couldn't understand why he, a righteous man, he, someone who was trying to follow after God, seemed to be suffering, had difficulty and hardship, physical pain, all of those things. And the wicked, those who didn't care about those things, why were they doing so well? And the injustice had his mind just spinning. And he brings that frustration to God. And as he does that, as he begins to name that frustration, he begins to confess the doubts he feels. He begins to confess those doubts. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Anytime Anytime we want to see a change happen in our life, in our heart, in our situation, in whatever we are facing, part of God's prescription is always to repent, to confess, to, to begin to ask the question, well, what are my feelings in this scenario? What do they reveal about me, about my heart? What do they reveal about my trust in God or my lack of trust in Him? Are there things here I need to confess? That's what Asaph begins to understand. There's things he needs to confess. There are things going on in his heart he needs to address. Number three. Number three is a change of perspective. We don't know precisely what moment this was for, for Asaph. We don't know uh, what uh, particular thought came to his mind, what verse this happened in. But he begins to have a change of perspective. We do know it's when he started bringing his struggle to God. When he started bringing his struggle to God, he began to think about the situation not just from his perspective, not just from the woe is me, look at me, all these people are prospering, I'm, I'm struggling here. He began to look at it from God's. He began to see his grumbling and his jealousy for what it was. He repented and God filled him with new perspective. God can do the same for us. The same for us. Fourth kind of thing we see uh, Asaph do is to seek God's presence. You see this in verse 17 specifically. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood. Asaph took his pain, his doubts. He took that with him. He didn't figure that all out before he went. He took it with him to the sanctuary, and then he sought God, and God met him there. 
Notice here that I said, seek God's presence. Seek God's presence. Seek God, not just some specific answer that we're looking for in a particular moment. Maybe at this stage, we shouldn't even be looking for answers. We should just be looking for more of him. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Number five is my favorite. No matter how we get to dependence on God, no matter how we get there, it's always a good Psalm 73, verse 25, the very end, right? If you've got a Bible with you, if you've got uh, the YouVersion Bible app open, this is a verse to highlight, folks, because he goes through all of this, and then he says in verse 25 what you and I should be saying every day of our lives. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on this earth. That's the place. That's the place God wants every single one of our hearts to be. That's where God wants you and me to be, desiring him more than anything else. And when we think about how this verse, this chapter started, it's remarkable. Asaph goes through some real hardship. He wrestles with some big questions here, right? I mean, it starts out with him just looking around and he's so frustrated. Why does this person have so much wealth and such a great family? And why does this person have so much influence? And I'm here trying to follow you and I seem to only struggle. He goes from there to trusting God more than ever. He goes from there to saying, I desire you more than all of this other stuff. I desire you more than anything on earth. What could God do in your heart? What could God do in your life if we're honest about, honest with him about our struggles, our feelings? We confess those to him. We repent, repent of our jealousy and our sin, and we sought him more than anything else. I believe God could write a story like he did for Asaph in you and me. As we close this morning, I want you just to hear some words from author Gerald May. He says this, if we really knew what we were called to relinquish on this spiritual journey, our defenses would never allow us to take the first step. Sometimes the only way we can enter the deeper dimensions of the journey is by being unable to see where we're going. In other words, 
God sometimes is silence. He's silent because he uses the silence to call us further, deeper, closer to him. To grow into who he desires us to be. Sometimes we must be taken when we're not willing to go on our own. We don't want to go on our own. Beneath that silence, God is calling us forward. He's teaching us to trust in his presence. Even when we don't see it, he's teaching us to trust in his provision, even when it doesn't seem like it's enough. Until we, like the psalmist, we, like the psalmist, say, I desire you, God more than anything on this earth. Let me pray for us this morning, and then Daniel will come down. Close us out with a song. God, we read in Psalm 73 so many questions, so many um, things that we struggle with, we see here. Questions of silence, God, why aren't you directing me? Why aren't you speaking to me more clearly here in this moment? Questions of just, God, where's the fairness in this? Why, Why does this person seem like it's their life is easy and it seems so hard for me? See, the psalmist struggle with this. And God, right now, I just recognize there are people in this room struggling with this question. But we also see the psalmist's perspective shift. As he comes to you, as he confesses, as, he, he, as he's just honest with his, with his struggle and his pain, his frustration, as he tells you about all of those things, you and your glory and your power and your wisdom, you turn that into confession. when we start to let all that stuff out, when we stop hiding it, we begin, begin to see what, see it for what it is. Jealousy. God, you call us to repent of that. We repent and you fill us. You fill us with new perspective. That's the prescription you give for a changed heart, a changed So God, just as a community this morning, we want to bring our hardship and our trouble and our frustrations that we feel to you. We want to bring them and just lay them down. We don't want to hide behind them anymore. We don't want to try to sweep them under the rug. We just want to bring them to you, God. moment, a moment where we ask other things in our heart as we, as we let this stuff spew out, or the things in our hearts that we need to repent of, or the things that get revealed about us 
here in this moment, in these hardships, in these struggles. Does a lack of trust get revealed? Is there some jealousy that gets revealed like there is for Asaph? We repent. We repent and we believe, God, that when we come and we seek you, that you meet us. You fill us with new perspective. I pray that happens in me right now. I pray that happens all across this room. God, we just want to say thank you. Because we know no matter how difficult the situation, no matter how terrible the circumstances, if it brings us to be more dependent on you, it's a good thing. Trusting you more, God, that's where we all want to be. So we're finally saying, like the psalmist, I want nothing on this earth more than you. In your name we pray. Amen.